Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I am Ken in Indiana. And I'm Jeremy in Utah. Today we have a good conversation for you where we deal with the issues of when theological triage goes wrong. You say it's a good conversation, but would we tell them if it was a bad conversation? Every conversation we have is a good conversation. So we might as well just say conversation at this point. Adjectives are irrelevant. Fair enough. And it's also the last episode of the season. That it is. Sad day for that. It is. But you don't have to be sad because we have some startling bonus content coming up in the near future. Like startling in, uh, here's another adjective, just startling in such a way that will leave you bewildered at how that bonus content wasn't in the actual season. And you know what? We kind of feel the same way. But True. that's just how that's just how it happened. How it happened. That's how the cookies crumbled. So stick around for that, and uh, stick around for more information too uh, here in the near future about how our episode formats are going to be changing. We're not going to be doing seasons anymore, are we? Or are we? Oh, oh just stay tuned. Keep us in that old RSS feed subscription app you got, and uh, you'll find out what's going on. Exciting stuff's coming up, though, right, Ken? Absolutely. There's We have a lot of exciting things coming your way. Catch you on the other side of the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right. Today we are going to be discussing common mistakes and problems that people practice or run into when dealing with theological triage. We have... What, six, seven items? How many items do we have? Six. Six items that we're going to review. And uh, this is an important episode, and these are important items for you to remember as you enter into the practice of theological triage using the best chart out there available for such a task, which is what chart, Ken? Utheology.com slash chart is where you can find the Keeping Doctrines in Its Place chart. Would have been really awkward if you would have said a different uh, organization's chart. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> there are other methods out there, but we're talking about the best one, and that's ours. That's right. Dotheology.com slash chart. So, before we jump into that, do we yeah. want to give a quick 30-second life update? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So for us, you know, we're recording this on... April 29th, and it's going to be a few weeks before you hear this. Um, but coming up on May 2nd, we're having our very first Sunday morning church service uh, from our, our uh, 
church plants. Our church plant has been meeting as a Sunday evening Bible study for over a year now, and we are now launching Sunday morning services. So that's really exciting. And uh, when you're listening to this, that'll be, you know, two weeks or so in the rear view mirror. But uh, yeah, we are all kinds of excited for for what the future holds here. That's a game changer. That's why we got this uh, fancy uh, banner hanging in the background. That's uh, part of our core values, or not uh, uh, part of our purpose statement. So... Which the vast majority of our listeners won't be able to see. So you True. might want to um, trim that narrate, part out. Narrate the banner. The banner. You do that too. Yeah. It says, We exist to glorify God. And there are additional banners that complete the, sen- the, the statement. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming Christ, that every individual in our reach might hear, believe, and follow him. Very good. Wow, you've memorized your purpose statement. Now yeah. the hard part is getting other people to memorize it. That's right. Well, it'll be on big, big banners on the front every week. So hmm. hopefully they'll just get it by osmosis from seeing it all the time, and it's on every piece of literature we're printing. So, hmm. all right. Well, um, that's great. And over on in Utah, out here in uh, the Wasatch Front, that's what our mountain range is called. Not Did not a ton. know that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Wasatch. If you hear Wasatch, that's my neck of the woods. Um, not a lot has changed over here. We're just doing all the things that the Lord has for us, um, and a lot of good good things happening, and we're just thankful for our family and the fellowship that we have, and that even in a place like this, Payson, Utah, where we are so outnumbered, that God still has His people meeting here and and learning together and praising him together. So very thankful for the community of believers that are here. So um, let's jump into six mistakes people make with theological triage. That sounds like a good title. Maybe we should make that the title. Um, People like numbered lists, like my uh, five marks of harmful megachurch culture that came out recently. Visit jeremyhoward.net for more information. There you uh, go. People like numbered lists. But let's jump into this, uh, getting into number one. You want to start us off here, Kenny? Yeah. The first mistake is believing that this can be done with consistent precision in every circumstance. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that was a pretty good imitation of squealing brakes. You yeah. could be a, a sound effects guy, like the guy from Police Academy. I I, uh, I doubt that, but no. <laughs> my my sound effects skills are pretty limited. So, <clears throat> well, yeah. So uh, uh, the first thing, the first mistake people make is that they believe this can be done. Theological triage can be done with consistent precision in every circumstance. <laughs> So wow. we, we regret to inform you, dear listener, that our charts, as great, as fantastic, as wonderful as it is, it's not infallible. Not infallible and not sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's uh, it's helpful. I mean, we're, we rush to uh, say that and yes. to encourage you to use it because it's helpful. But it is not all sufficient uh, because... There are circumstances that come up where we're left making an individual judgment call, even though we are doing our best to see this from an objective perspective. And this is because we are far more limited than we think, right? Yes. <laughs> we, we often 
lose sight of our own limitations and think, oh, I can figure out if this is good, bad, wise, foolish, righteous, sinful. And you find yourself in a situation and you start to get in touch with your own limitations and think, okay, yeah, um, I can't just use a chart. I can't apply a chart to this because this is a pretty gnarly situation with a lot of implications and moving parts. Yeah, and and we... uh... It's just messy, right? That's that's the reality of it. Theological triage is going to be messy at times where you're you're wrestling with things, you're trying to figure out how you should approach different issues, and the implications of those decisions can leave you in a variety of different places. And it's just not always as clean cut as we would like it to be, which is why we had an episode titled Tweeners. Right. Yeah. These these things that were just like, man, where where does this issue fit on the chart, on this in the balance of things? It's hard to discern that at times. Yeah. I mean, yet at the same time, we rush to say theological triage is extremely important yes. and utterly inescapable. I mean, yeah. you cannot mm-hmm. live your Christian life without doing this. I mean, there there's some people that I think have kind of gotten to the point like this the whole theological triage thing or this whole trying to figure out what column a doctrine is in, that's a fool's errand. You just can't do it, and there are so many abuses to it. I'm done with that. You, you can't be done with it. Yeah. It just, you cannot escape it because next thing you know, you're going to go to a church service, and someone's going to be throwing a fit about someone else's pants, and then you have to decide, am I going to do theological triage and consider what level of importance this is, or am I just going to treat everything the same? <laughs> Right. And so you just kind of have to realize this is a reality for the believer. And the vast majority of us do this instinctively, right? Where, and sometimes that instinct is not as finely honed as it ought to be, which is why resources like the chart are helpful, which is why we have this whole podcast encouraging people to, to think about it and think intentionally and biblically about it. But it's, we do do this instinctively. In fact, there are individuals that I've had conversations with that insist that no, no, there's all doctrine is primary. And yet they still instinctively don't, they don't live as if it's all primary, right? They, mm-hmm. they instinctively make categories without assigning yes. the labels to them. Yes. Um, so it is inescapable, but it's not free from messiness. So again, going back to that tweeners episode, one of the doctrines that we consider to be a tweener, meaning it doesn't clearly cleanly fit into one column over and against the others, is that of losing salvation. That is, the, the doctrine of losing salvation and trying to decide if that's a primary issue or a secondary issue you can't really handle that with consistent precision because there are a lot of implications and a lot of moving parts. And so yeah. a lot of it just depends, right? Yeah, it's very, very challenging, as we so, discussed. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't heard that, go listen to the Tweeners episode because that is a great um, example of how you, there are just some doctrines that are going to be really difficult to deal with and you can't cleanly precisely deal with them every time. So, so the first mistake that people make when doing theological triage is believing that this can be done with consistent precision in every circumstance. The second mistake people make is not defining primary doctrines. (laughs) And it kind of sounds funny to say that, like, why wouldn't they define primary doctrines, right? Like, it's almost like obvious. Well, you, you need to define your terms, but so often we don't. We just we operate based on assumptions, 
of just like, oh, well, you know, we all know what 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 all the primary doctrines are. We know what's essential. We know what is the the basics, right? That it's just it's an assumption that's brought to the table that well, what the assumption actually ends up being is, I know what I think are primary. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm assuming that everybody else thinks the same thing about what is primary. And perhaps there's a um, optimistic or a charitable way to look at that view because we have to admit it is a very difficult task to objectively define what is primary. Yeah. It, I mean, as you, as you're just thinking about that, if you've never thought through this before and someone asks you, can you tell me what the absolute primary doctrines are of the Christian faith? You're going to be left wondering, well, is there a set of primary doctrines that all Christians, anybody who, na- who claims the name of Christ is expected to agree on? <laughs> and as you start listing them out, are you, you're going to wonder, did I list enough? Did I list too many? And that can yeah. be a, a very difficult challenge set before somebody. But the alternative, I think, is worse, yeah. just not defining it. Yeah. I think a lot of people will jump to, you know, if they were pressed in the moment, they would immediately jump, jump to the gospel. What are the what are the fundamental elements of the gospel and kind of rest on that mm-hmm. when as as you, if you're familiar with the chart at all you'll know that that we view more things than just the gospel as central and as critical as that is there's more that the bible puts forth as having that primary level of significance than just the elements of the gospel so yeah. we we need to pay attention to that and how <laughs> and how much conflict can we avoid if we just accept someone's Christianity on the basis of the statement, well, I believe Jesus died for me. And we just say, great, you're a Christian, and we all move on. We can avoid so much conflict that way. It's much more of a, we're all holding hands, we're all at peace, yada, yada, yada. But then you start, if you you really want to get into the, the substance of it all, well, who is Jesus? Why did he have to die? Um, did he stay dead? Right. How are you made right with him? How is that death applied to you? Is it by faith or by works? You know, yeah, there's a lot there. And so even though perhaps there are some people who just approach the topic with a sweet spirit about them, um, just not wanting to try to objectively define Christianity by some list of doctrines, I mean, I can understand that. I think there are a lot of people, too, who don't want to define it because they want to avoid conflicts. And it would be just a lot easier to accept Mormons as Christians and accept Jehovah's Witnesses as Christians and whoever on the basis of, well, they believe in Jesus. Um, That's that's not enough. That statement alone isn't enough. And so, for instance, the Trinity. Um, (sighs) Boy, the (laughs) Trinity. Uh, In so many churches across America, people don't have Trinitarian, good Trinitarian theology. And... So you you have a bunch of ignorant Christians who have just never been taught. And then you have a bunch of Christians who aren't interested in being taught about a doctrine as significant as the triune nature of God. And this is just really important. We have to define what our primary doctrines are. The Trinity is one of those. And even though it's complicated, even though it can be divisive, we have to embrace it as definitional to our faith. Yeah, and and if if you are listening and you're like, well, I've never, I don't really have just kind of been scared of of studying the Trinity because of its complex nature. Don't don't let that stop you because it is it is a beautiful beautiful thing how God has revealed Himself and a good resource 
if you want to jump into a study on that, is The Forgotten Trinity by James White. Highly recommend that book as being very accessible to even to, to lay people, but really just being very rich and rewarding to read that. And I have to admit, this past Sunday, I was on the YouTube on the Lord's Day, and <laughs> I had a recommended video from a megachurch and oh, no. um, that does a lot of online stuff. I mean, every Sunday is like a Hollywood production. And this quote-unquote pastor was talking about the Trinity, talking about the Godhead. And he started off by saying, you know, we like to get really uh, precise and say, well, First Thessalonians says this. He was mocking, referencing the Bible. And he said, we just have to realize a that... start. <laughs> we, we just have to realize that there are some doctrines that are just totally mysterious that we'll just never really understand. And that's how he introduces the idea of the Trinity. He then goes on to put out a, a chart. He puts a chart on uh, this huge screen thing that he has behind him. I don't even know what kind of screen it is, but it, it says Father, Son, and Spirit, and he outlines their different roles. And it was pretty good. I mean, it was very basic. It was pretty good. And he said, and I know this is so hard for us to understand, so it's like oh, how no. I... <laughs> yeah, another another bad move. <laughs> It's like how I am a husband and a father and a pastor, which hopefully most listeners of this podcast know. That's modalism, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually went on beyond the chart that he had on the, t on the screen thing. He brought out this huge larger-than-life rotating... Uh, it's, it would be like a cube, but it's a triangle. I don't know what that's called. Um, maybe a prism. I don't know, but it's this really tall three-sided thing. And he has on one side, a picture of him as pastor. And on the next side, a picture of him as a husband with his wife. And on the next side, a picture of him as father with his kids. And he's saying, see like father, son, and spirit. And he's rotating this thing. Ouch. All right. So where does that leave us? <laughs> that leaves us with someone who can't define primary doctrines and subsequently is teaching heresy. That's an issue. He cannot perform theological triage. Yeah. Somebody mail that guy a book of Forgotten Trinity. And this guy gets 100,000 to half a million views on each one of his sermons, mm -hmm. just so you know. That's what is going on in the American church. That's depressing. It is. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's I don't have result. anything to bring us up from there. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, it's why we're talking about this today is okay, these are mistakes that people make. This is when theological triage goes wrong. Yeah. This is part of the result of it. And it, it evidences itself in weak theology in American churches. Yes. So well, let's get into the third mistake, shall we? Defining primary doctrines wrongly. So the previous one was not defining them at all. Well, okay, now we're defining them, but we're hmm. doing it in a way that is not actually biblical. We're not, we're not defining it properly. Yeah, so we've, we've mentioned one where we all just kind of default because we can't escape theological triage. We default to something in our brain that says this is primary. And that is a wrong way of defining doctrines, but it's also not a um, conscious way of defining doctrines. It's like a subconscious way. So what are some conscious ways, like if someone is, is going into it mindful of this is what they're doing, what are some wrong ways they could define primary doctrine? One way that we can default to <laughs> defining primary doctrines wrongly is placing 
a level of weight and authority to historical ecumenical creeds and confessions. Come on now. Over Say the it. scripture itself. Oh! <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. A couple of our brothers just got shot in the shoulder with that statement. Yeah. You want and, to elaborate on how, uh, on that tension that's there? Yeah. So now, anybody who uh, values creeds and confessions, and let me just say, creeds and confessions, immensely valuable. So very helpful. They have played critical roles in the history of the church, and they've been very valuable and helpful for us. And we appreciate them, and we're not trying to denigrate them or knock them in any way. But there are times, I believe, when they don't do this intentionally, like in their minds and in their theology, they're still holding to the, the premacy of God's Word. But in function, in practice, the creeds and confessions seem to rise to a level of authority that basically actually becomes the lens through which they view Scripture instead of viewing the creeds and confessions mm. through the lens of God's Word. And Ooh, that, that, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and and you basically get to the point of, well, why study Scripture when the creeds have already done it for us? And you just study the, study the creeds. And as long as you're in line with the creeds, you're, you're good. Um, yike. Yeah. I've got two books here on my shelf. They're good books, and I, I would have no problem even handing these books out to someone and say, hey, if you want to read, no, lo, uh, learn more about the Apostles' Creed, these are two excellent resources. One's by Al, Al Mohler, uh, The Apostles' Creed is the title, with a subtitle, though, Discovering Authentic Christianity in an Age of Counterfeits. So just that subtitle, it kind of makes it sound like Mohler is kind of presenting the Apostles' Creed as the test of faith, which... Apostles' Creed is great, and I'm not denigrating that at all, but is that assigning it a greater value than it should be? Uh, basic Training by R.C. Sproul. Love R.C. Sproul. I love... He's great... Especially now that he's a Baptist. That's right. <laughs> hey, hey. There we go. How many people are going to get that joke? <laughs> <laughs> basic Training by R.C. Sproul. Plain talk about the key truths of the faith. Essentially laying forth... The Apostles' Creed, once again, as kind of that bedrock, as the defining definitional to Christianity is is the Apostles' Creed. And we think that's a—it's helpful. Again, the creeds are helpful. I, in fact, I even recommend memorizing the Apostles' Creed. That's something worth memorizing. But we need to be careful that it does not come to a level of authority that trumps Scripture. And in practice, that can happen all too often. Yeah, so let's talk about the flip side of of this, where we're on, on one side we're saying, look, let's not elevate the creeds above the Bible. But on the other side, let's also recognize that if someone comes along and says, I've discovered a new primary doctrine. I've discovered a doctrine that no one else has realized is definitional to Christianity. We're going to say, uh, what? Hold the phone. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically what you're doing is saying, there's never been a Christian until me. Yeah. And I am the first Christian. And you're going to look to create some sort of a restoration movement like Pentecostals have done and, and Mormons and others. Um, some Pentecostals, not all Pentecostals. So even though we recognize we don't want to put the creeds over the Bible, we also recognize we don't want to take the Bible without church history, mm -hmm. without the creeds and confessions that have existed, not that they're equal with the Bible and definitely not that they're over the Bible, 
But if it is just you and your Bible without the counsel of God's people, and that's present and past, then you could end up in a very strange place. That's how so many movements have ended up in very strange places. There is great value in ecumenical biblical deductions that, that have been formed that really are our dogma. As far as they are biblical, and as far as they're, you know, as far as they're biblical and articulated to reflect what is in the Bible clearly, then they are dog. They're they're doctrines on which we're dogmatic. Absolutely. So we we don't want to take the creeds as having authority over the Bible, but we also don't want to take the mindset of, well, I have no creed but Christ. I have no. I, I, it's just me and my Bible and Jesus, and I don't need anything else. And I don't need anybody else. That is, that is not a helpful approach to studying Scripture, uh, so we want to yeah. be careful with that. Even though it is absolutely true, you do not need the creeds to understand the truths of the Bible, because the guys who Correct. wrote the creeds understood the truths before the creeds were written, right? That's right. Um, but we, while we are on this side of history and have the advantage of appealing to church history and those who have gone before us, let's do that. Uh, there's there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, present and past. So as we think of something like biblical inerrancy and authority, we realize that the Bible on its own terms is inerrant, authoritative, sufficient. It's self-attesting this revelation of God. Uh, yet it's good to have statements like the Chicago statement on inerrancy yes. uh, that we can point to and say, this is a great summary of what I believe. Not that the Bible doesn't teach it itself, but this ecumenical biblical deduction summarizes it, and that's a good thing. Yes. Number four, grouping all non-primary doctrines together. Yes, uh, people not seeing levels of doctrine outside of primary, but just seeing, okay, we've defined primary. Anything that doesn't meet that definition of primary then is just in the large bin titled non-primary. What's so wrong about that? Well, it's failing to make a distinction between, well, first of all, there's there's the secondary things that are, again, they're not definitional of Christianity. They're the result of differing hermeneutics when it comes to the approach to the text. But then there are other things that are a result of, of different conscience issues, right? That's why we have the, the three columns in our chart, is because we recognize that not all issues that could cause division are, are a result of hermeneutics or exegesis. Some of them are a result of our conscience, our personal conscience, and what, what our conscience allows us to do. And so we need to recognize those distinctions and see, okay, you know what, that we— we need to not just merge all these things together and just lump them all together, but Scripture actually gives us a precedent for viewing secondary matters as secondary, but then having a, a third column for matters of conscience. And I've seen what happens a lot of times when everything is grouped together outside of primary doctrines. It's almost like primary doctrines are the ones that matter, and all the other doctrines are the ones that don't matter. Right. <laughs> like we've seen recently um, when Beth Moore left the SBC church, when she did her Leave Loud campaign out of the SBC church, <laughs> and she had that tweet heard around the world apologizing for teaching complementarianism in the past. She said uh, that she was sorry for teaching the man-made doctrine of complementarianism. Now, why did she put man-made in there? There are 
a few reasons why she could have, I guess, but it seems to me that she's just looking to say, look, it's not gospel, so it's man-made and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that is so goofy and weird. You're not defining primary doctrine right at that point, and you're not accurately articulating what secondary doctrine is, which is still extremely important and worldview shaping. And just to write it off as being man-made is absolutely silly. Yes. So we we do have to see levels of de, of importance even outside of primary doctrine. Just because it's non-primary, that doesn't mean it's, I don't know, pithy or needless. So when you think of something that's in the third column, like tobacco use, it's not going to be as worldview shaping <laughs> to us as our understanding of lordship salvation or free grace. Those are really going to affect us day by day as we look at the world um, if we if we take one side or the other on that, that argument, lordship, salvation, or free grace. Whereas tobacco use is a personal conviction thing. If a guy has a cigar every now and then, or if you're in a rural church somewhere, you probably have a lot of guys in your church who chew and stuff like that. Vaping. And vape, or yeah, vaping. There you go. That's the hip thing so, now, right? So we can't, <laughs> we can't group those things together and say they're the same. They're just not. Yeah. And and we have to have a proper understanding of how these things all work. Otherwise, we're going to start saying weird stuff. We're going to turn into Beth Moore. Oh, Who wants to do us. that? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say on that number four? I don't think so. Um, yeah, just recognizing the role of the role of hermeneutics, our method and approach to to studying scripture, and where scripture gives us freedom in our personal conscience. So. Good. So number four is the mistake is grouping all non-primary doctrines together. Mistake number five is not limiting the non-primary doctrines mm-hmm. by the primary doctrines. I know this is a double negative, so I hate to do this to you, but it's the best way to say it. Not limiting the non-primary doctrines by the primary doctrines. And this principle comes up all the time when we do interviews um, for the podcast, talking about the chart or whatever. We're always making sure this is clear. I think this hangs hangs a lot of people up where they're thinking, okay, so these things are primary, and then you've got these other two columns, and those are just free-for-alls then in those columns? You can just do whatever you want? Yeah. And we're always having to explain this. So let's let's explain how to avoid this mistake. So this... If you've got the chart and you've seen the chart, we have a, a phrase across the, the top of the chart. And really, this this line that's across the top of the chart may be, I don't want to overstate the case, but it may be one of the most important principles to understand in how the chart functions. Yeah, I mean, besides the existence of the columns themselves, this is the next important thing. Yes. So what it says is primary doctrines should not be violated by other doctrines. These objective truths inform and limits convictions and conscience matters. These objective truths inform and limit convictions and conscience matters. So a lot of times what happens when we're doing interviews or we're talking to people and they see something in the secondary column that perhaps they're personally really fired up about because they have seen the abuse of a position that's on the opposite side of something that they're on, 
And so they say, well, we've seen this, you know, go so far awry that it kind of does lead to heresy. And so we're, you know, I don't know, is it right to even say that that belongs in the secondary column or even something in the third column? Well, you know, alcohol is in that third column, but, you know, people can get drunk, you know, and, and the Bible does speak about drunkenness. Yes, it does. This is why that phrase is so important, because that we should be looking at the second column and the third column through the lens of the first column. That is, in fact, we talked about that concept in the episode of the 3D chart, or the 3D look at the chart. I, I don't remember what episode number that is, but it was a while back, yeah. um, probably in season two, I two. think, somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that, that if you want a resource on that, you could go back and listen to that. But we do not want to make the mistake of allowing whatever position we come to on secondary or third column issues to just run amok acting like, oh, well, it's just free-for-all here, like you mentioned, we can just do whatever we want, in the process, violating doctrines that are in that primary column. We need to avoid making that mistake. Yeah, and so uh, as you look at the chart, you see that it's red, yellow, green, like a stoplight. Um, In primary doctrines, it's red, meaning you have to stop there. Uh, there's no freedom in these things. There's no alternative view that's equally valid. Um, these are definitional Christianity. We can't budge on them. Yellow means, look, there's more freedom here. These are hermeneutical deductions, so you're obviously limited by what's in Scripture. And then you're still limited by what's in the primary column, meaning you can't violate a definitional doctrine with what you believe in the secondary column. And then the Third column, doubtful things, is green, meaning there's much freedom. Green means go ahead and not do this. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, Michael Scott. Uh, Green means go ahead and shut up about it. So... uh, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of freedom because we're talking about personal conscience issues. And I even did the illustration of like having something in your hand where you're wiggling it. I've got a pencil in my hand right now. I'm pinching the eraser part with uh, my fingers. That's like primary doctrine. They can't move. As you go to the middle of the pencil, there's a little more freedom on how far you can go up and down. And then, of course, the end of the pencil has the most movement. And so that's the idea is that there's a lot of lot more freedom as you get to the third column. But may we never confuse freedom with licentiousness of doctrine or licentiousness of living. Yes. Our freedom is checked by the clear doctrines of Scripture. Absolutely. So this is why we can't ever ever use the excuse, well, this is a third column issue, to justify clear sin. Yeah. On any level. Yeah. uh, Third column issue. A third column uh, category is music and other media, okay? So that's, there's a lot of freedom there. Well, that doesn't mean that the latest hip heretical song that's out there that says something that's very theologically inaccurate and harmful to God's people if they believed that, that doesn't mean you can put that in your uh, music set for Sunday morning and lead all of the people there to sing that song. You don't have freedom to do that. That's a violation of a clear doctrine in Scripture. Or a book like Jesus Calling. Mm. Okay, we've got major issues with this having to do with the first column, definitional doctrines. You don't have freedom to embrace a heretical book or heretical work, a blasphemous thing. You've got to check that with the clear doctrines of Scripture. And this is even true in the secondary column. There Mm. There can be doctrines that people would consider secondary that 
violate primary doctrines. Um, yes. Preterism is a, is a very obvious one that says Jesus has already come back. And well, this has to do with prophecies and how we interpret prophecies. And isn't there freedom in that? There's freedom in that. But if you reject the notion that Jesus is coming is yet future, scripture clearly teaches this. Now yeah. you're a heretic. Yeah. That's not an acceptable view. Yeah. And, and views, uh, things that do properly belong in the second column you know, you mentioned uh, the Lordship, Salvation, Free Grace debate uh, in the last mistake of grouping all non-primary primary doctrines together. Well, there are extremes of both Lordship, Salvation, and Free Grace that are heretical, that violate primary doctrines. But So we, we, can't, we can't allow ourselves to go there. We are allowing it to be checked by the primary column. Yes. Okay, so those are the five, first five mistakes— that people make with theological triage. Now, the sixth one is kind of a curveball. However, I have seen this be the case with every model of theological triage except our own. <laughs> so I, here I am making, about to make a statement saying that we're the only one that doesn't make this mistake. So that's kind of a bold statement, but here we go anyway. The last mistake we'll talk about today when doing theological triage is relegating eschatology to the lowest possible tier. I've seen this um, in a variety of contexts, whether it's Al Mohler or who else has put out that we've talked about their names before. Um, wasn't an, an Ortland who put out the book on triage. Was it Gavin? Uh, Gavin, Gavin, Gavin Ortland. He did Hills to yeah, die on that yeah. book. Um, anyway, I've heard people talk about this, uh, the, the item of eschatology, as though it is just something that is so far off. It's, it's basically akin to figuring out how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. Yeah. That's what eschatology is. And I am very uncomfortable with doing that, putting eschatology at the bottom of the bottom. I, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's a fair representation of how the Bible presents eschatology. And I think it leads Christians to believe that our study of future things is really just not important. Well, uh, I think we may have talked about this maybe in season one, but there's a quote from Mark Dever, which after, after he made the comments in a sermon, he doubled down on that in a, uh, in a podcast episode where he hosts a podcast, um, where he said that any pastor who leads their church <laughs> to have a a position on eschatology inside of their doctrinal statement, that pastor is in sin. So not only does he relegate eschatology down to the lowest possible level, but then he says the placement of that eschatology in that lowest level the placement of it in itself is a first column issue that if you violate where you place eschatology, you are in sin. Hmm. And that, man, those are, those are strong words coming from Mr. Dever. That's uh, cannot, cannot get on board with that. (laughs) Yeah. Because our view of eschatology, whichever view we take isn't, or at least shouldn't be, but I mean, in the vast majority of cases, it isn't um, a, a conclusion we arrive at the same way we arrive at our, our 
conscience issues. Yeah. It's just not. Because the very nature of a third column thing is that Scripture doesn't spell it out very clearly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scripture doesn't even touch on the issue in a lot of cases. There are only principles that we can take out of the text and apply it to whatever we're dealing with. Whereas with eschatology, there's more said in the Bible about eschatology than a lot of people realize. And our view is a result of hermeneutics. And if it has to do with hermeneutics, if it has to do with, with study of Scripture... On a topic Scripture is very clearly addressing, and we're just getting to our conclusion based on our hermeneutic, it has to be considered secondary right alongside things like Calvinism, right alongside things like sign gifts. It is right there alongside them to say, well, it's future, so it's less than that. That is just an arbitrary uh, avoidance of something you, you just don't want to talk about. Yes. Well, and you think about the book of Revelation that so many people— try to shy away from because it is it can be a complicated book of trying to work through it, but there is a blessing given to the one who is willing to study it, that there's a there's a blessing for the ones who hears the words of this book and does them, that there's a blessing that, that God gives. And so we, we can't shy away from eschatology because it's hard, but there is a direct blessing given to those who who pursue knowing and and teaching and believing what yeah. what Scripture teaches about the last things. How are you going to teach Matthew twenty four? How are you going to teach Acts one about restoring the kingdom to Israel? How are you going to teach Acts three the times of refreshing for Israel? How are you going to teach Romans eleven about the restoring of Israel? First Corinthians three, First Corinthians fifteen, First uh, and Second Thessalonians. How are you going to teach these yeah. books? It comes up so much in the New Testament alone. Right. I mean. Le- I mean, this is let alone Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Daniel, right? Um, So it's all over the scriptures. Therefore, it has a great corporate importance. This isn't like your personality or what you decide to wear or yada, yada, yada. This has a great corporate importance because it will directly affect your local church, how how these passages are taught. It must be considered with a higher esteem than just putting it on the back burner because it comes up all the time. And we are directly told in 1 Thessalonians to encourage one another with these words. And the words that were just spoken were about eschatology, about things mm-hmm. yet future. So, Yes. So just because this idea um, of eschatology, this, this area of theology, just because it is exclusively future, that does not mean it is less important than doctrines about the present. I mean, we we want to instinctively, for whatever reason, lift up doctrines about the present, like soteriology, mm. um, the study of our salvation, uh, the Calvinism-Arminianism issue, uh, areas of ecclesiology, how churches should be governed, right? We, we instinctively want to talk about those more. And I get that. I mean, I, I think there's probably a great case to be made that we should be talking about those more. Sure. But that doesn't make them more important than doctrines about the future. To say that the doctrines about the future are less important is to just ignore Scripture's witness to the issue. So there we have six mistakes that we can make when it comes to theological triage. It's quite a list. Now you know to avoid them. Yeah. See, we've, we've, we've done our job today. We've made you more equipped to better handle these issues, I hope. There we go. 
So Okay, well, stick around, um, not like on this episode, but keep us around on uh, your podcast app, whatever you do to listen to this on YouTube, stay subscribed, all that stuff. We are going to be taking a break, most likely, but there will still be content yep. showing up. So um, right now, we don't really know how all that's going to work out. Uh, we're going to be figuring it out in the coming days. And um, we, we have some really exciting stuff and announcements that will be coming your way soon. Anything else, Ken? I don't think so. We sure do appreciate everyone. And thank you so much for listening. This, um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I, uh, it is it's just always tickling to me, the, the comments that we get and the, um, the downloads and all this sort of thing. People are listening and they're enjoying and they're appreciating and uh, it's, it's been helpful for people. And so we're really, really grateful that, that we can be useful to God's church in that way. And if you have found anything useful in the midst of this, share that to other people. Let other people hear it uh, so that they can get the same benefit that you do. And then let us know. Send us an email, show at dotheology.com. You can send us a tweet, at dotheology. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash dotheology. And you can, we've gotten Facebook messages and things that way as well. So reach out to us. We are available. We do interact. We do respond. And we love hearing from our listeners. So until next time, whenever that may be, do theology. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> just completely derailed my train of thought on that. Well, but, I found uh, an ant on my pants. That derailed my train of thought. <laughs> we both got derailed at the same time. Where did that ant come from? Do I have ants in my office? Better on my pants than in my pants, I guess. But that could be happening. I'm probably going to be itching for the rest of the episode now. I just got... <laughs> so, oh, my invasion. goodness.